If you have a copy of God's Word, would you open it to Exodus chapter 28? Exodus chapter 28. Uh, we're going to be taking in the entire chapter this evening, but we won't read all 43 verses to begin with. Uh, let's start with the first 12. And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother, for glory and for beauty. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate and an ephod, and a robe and a broidered coat, a mitre and a girdle. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron, thy brother, and his sons, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And they shall take gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine, twine, fine linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and of purple, of scarlet and fine twined linen with cunning work. It shall have the two shoulder pieces thereof joined at the two edges thereof, and so it shall be joined together. And the curious girdle of the ephod, which is upon it, shall be of the same according to the work thereof, even of gold, of blue, purple, scarlet, fine twined linen. And thou shalt make two onyx stones, and grave on them the names of the children of Israel, six of their names on one stone, and the other six names of the rest on the other stone, according to their birth. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, shalt thou engrave the two stones with the names of the children of Israel. Thou shalt make them to be set in ouches of gold. And thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of memorial unto the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for a memorial. Let's pray. Lord, it is our endeavor to glean from your word this evening. We understand, Lord, that this was the prescription for the high priest, but we also see that there is a picture of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to make astute observations and that we might see the connections in Scripture that point us to the glory of Christ and his role as our mediator and our intercessor. And so, Father, I pray and ask that you would help me to rightly interpret Scripture and to make a right application this evening so that you may get all the glory and the honor and that we, O oh Lord, might be edified, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The focus uh, and content of chapters 28 and 29 is the Levitical priesthood. And so as we are studying the tabernacle and God is giving the design of the tabernacle to Moses, intrinsic to that is the priest, the high priest and the priesthood because they carry out the service of the tabernacle and would later carry out the service of the temple. Uh, chapter 28 focused primarily on the high priest and what he wore. And so what we are seeing is the inauguration, the institution of the priesthood of Israel. Up to this point, there has not been a priesthood. And so God is instituting this. He is prescribing this. And this is going to be the inaugural high priest and the priesthood. Aaron was the first high priest, and 
all the successors to that office were direct descendants of his. And so by God's sovereignty, he chooses Moses to be the deliverer of Israel, to lead them out of Egypt to the promised land. And then he selects Moses' brother, Aaron, both from the house of Levi, the tribe of Levi, and he makes Aaron the high priest, and then Aaron's sons after him uh, would be the priests and the successors to that office. Only one person occupied the office of the high priest, only one person at a time, and that was for the duration of their life or their ability to, uh, to keep that service. And the highest function of the high priest was to enter into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle on the Day of Atonement to make an atonement for the sins of Israel. And so you always say, what's the greatest significance between the high priest and the other priest? Well, they served in their daily duties and weekly duties and semi-annual duties as priests, receiving sacrifices, making those sacrifices at the altar, sprinkling blood, uh, those sorts of things. But the, the highest function of the high priest and what set him apart from all the other priests was that he was the only one who would go into the Holy of Holies. And he only went in once a year on the Day of Atonement and he had the, the great responsibility of offering the blood of atonement for the entire nation of Israel. The high priest is a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our high priest. Just listen to some of these verses from Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews 4.14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Hebrews 8, 1 and 2, we have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. Hebrews 9, 11 and 12, but Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. And so why should Exodus 28 enter us? Why should we care what the high priest is outfitted in? Why should we pay attention to that? Because it is a picture of Jesus Christ in his function as our great and true high priest. Exodus 28 describes two important aspects of the high priest that I would like to bring out this evening. Number one, what he wore. What he wore. As we read through verses 6 through 43, it is concentrated on what he wore. Each element, each piece is described for us and how it was to be made and what it was to be made out of and, 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 and what layer it was to be worn on. There are seven articles of apparel that are identified in this chapter. And they're identified for us not because God is interested in fashion, uh, not because he is giving us tips on how to color coordinate our clothes, but because each piece represents one of the functions, responsibilities, roles uh, that Jesus would carry out when he came and went to be our great high priest. The first item is the ephod. 
The ephod was the outermost garment of the high priest. Uh, it was like a long vest, if you will. And so it, it had a hole for the head to go through. It had no sleeves, and it was uh, somewhat longer, long as a waistcoat or so. And it would have been the top layer of the garment and so that is described for us as as you would be seeing the high priest and so that one is mentioned first uh, the most prominent feature of the ephod were the two onyx stones we just read about those two onyx stones we're told that there was one on each shoulder with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel engraved in them and so this outermost garment this ephod that was like a long vest uh, uh, of one piece no buttons no zippers no uh, lacing, uh, had on it two large onyx stones that were sewn in and attached to the shoulders. They were actually set in gold, and they were attached and sewn in to the shoulders of this vestment. And they were must have been larger stones because in each stone were engraved the names of the tribes of Israel. So six tribes were engraved in one and six were engraved in the other and so every time the high priest put on his garments he had those onyx stones with the names of the children of Israel on his shoulders next we find in verses 15 through 30 the breastplate the breastplate had 12 precious jewels embedded in it and each one of those jewels had a name of the tribe and so you get double coverage if you will the names, six and six on the shoulders, but then on the breastplate, it is this gold breastplate. It says it's about a span. A span would have been from the tip of your finger to the tip of your thumb, and so it is this square piece of gold that would have been hanging on the high priest's chest, and in it would have had rows of precious jewels, 12 in total, and one jewel representing each tribe, and the name of that tribe would have been engraved in uh, that jewel. It also had the stones that are called Urim and Thummim, and uh, that means lights and perfections. And so the high priest always had this breastplate on. It was connected by chains, uh, to uh, loops or rings that were on the onyx stones and so it hung on the chest the outermost part of the high priest's garment and then we're told about the girdle in uh, verses 8 and 28 the girdle is not what we think of in our modern times uh, the girdle in biblical times was like a cloth belt if you will that wrapped around the midsection. And so I would liken it into a very long scarf. You know, those scarves are somewhat wide, can be long, you know, and if you get on uh, YouTube, you'll find out every way you want to tie your scarf, right? You've seen all those videos. You can wear them around and uh, very functional. And so they would have had something like that, and it would have went around their midsection and acted like a belt because what the priest is wearing is is a set of robes actually three layers of robes and then this 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 girdle would have been tied around as a matter of fact it was common it was a common article of clothing for men in the bible times 
And uh, you'll read sometimes in the Bible where it says that they gird up their loins. Now, the high priest never girded up his loins, but just to show you how this thing functioned, when they girded up their loins, they would take this long piece of cloth that was usually wrapped around like a belt, and they would actually take it and wrap it between on their on their robes so that they could pull it up and essentially turn that robe into like a pair of shorts. And so they would do that uh, if they were in some sort of activity that they needed to be able to move, to run, to fight, whatever it may be, they would gird up their loins. And so uh, the girdle was this cloth, cloth belt that was used uh, to, uh, to hold in those garments. Uh, the girdle is a symbol of service and strength. It's a symbol of service and strength. Uh, in Job 38, God says to Job, gird up your loins like a man. Stand up on your feet. And so it's the idea uh, of being strength. And then also in Luke 12, 37, it speaks about the service that is used there. And so here we have an item. You say, what's the purpose of this? Well, we know the stones. We're going to learn more about those. That, uh, that Aaron carried those on his shoulders. And then he carried the other stones on his heart. And now we see that this girdle is a picture of service and strength. And so as we are looking at this high priest and we are comparing him to uh, his prefigurement of Christ we understand that that Christ carries those names on his shoulders he carries them on his heart and that he is uh, the strong one who came to serve as a matter of fact one of the gospels presents him as a servant and highlights that and then uh, the next item that we is described for us is the robe, and we find this in verses 31 through 35. The robe was worn under the ephod and the breastplate, and so you had the breastplate as the outer robe, and then the next layer of robing underneath that is what's being called the robe here, and uh, the robe was one woven garment. It was seamless and blue. And that speaks of the deity of Christ. There was no seam. There was no stitching. It was completely woven together, continuous, and it was blue. As a matter of fact, Jesus actually wore a robe similar to this. Uh, we remember hearing at his crucifixion that they divided up his garments, but not his robe, because it was one seamless robe. And so uh, for the high priest, it's a picture of the deity of Christ. And around the bottom of this robe were dangling bells and pomegranates, uh, replicas, carvings of pomegranates. And the bells indicate testimony. They would have jingled when he walked. And the pomegranates symbolize fruitfulness. Now there was a practical side to the, the bells we are told that when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, there was a risk that he would die if he was not purified. If he had not went through all the procedures that God had commanded the high priest to go through, and he entered into that most holy room, then he would have died immediately. And so the bells on the bottom of this robe would jingle as long as he was moving. And uh, from what I understand, historically, he would go in with a rope tied to one of his ankles so that if he were struck dead in that room, nobody could go and get him. And they would pull him out by the rope. Now, there's no instance of that ever happening, uh, but uh, rabbinical tradition informs us of that. 
Uh, it's also interesting that, that these are equal in number. God specifically tells Moses, I, I want you to, to put this around the border, the bottom of that robe, a pomegranate, a bale, a pomegranate, or a bale, and I want them to be equal in number, which may point to a picture of balance in both talk and walk. And the Lord Jesus Christ embodied that. He came proclaiming, testifying, preaching the good news, the gospel. But he also lived the life of perfection and of service and a life that glorified God. And so the high priest was both to be uh, testimony and fruitful. It was both talk and walk. The next item highlighted for us is the crown. Uh, in uh, verses 36 through 38... The crown is also called a mitre, uh, and that, uh, that headgear uh, would have been like a turban. So as you think of a turban-like, a cloth-type, taller hat, and it would have had a gold band around the bottom of it. Uh, this points to the authority of Christ. He's not just our high priest. He is our king, and he is our Lord. The Bible says that he comes with many crowns upon his head. And so as this high priest goes in, uh, by the way, he was not allowed to go in with his head uncovered into the Holy of Holies. That was a requirement for him to always be wearing that mitre, that, that, that hat, that turban that had the gold band around it. And so we see a picture here of Christ's authority. And then we come to the coat and the breeches, as it's spelled, or we might say uh, breeches, in verses 39 through 42. And so this coat and breeches were the undergarments of the high priest. This robe would have been the longest of the robes, and it would have been white, and it would have had sleeves. And so, as the high priest was getting dressed, this would have been the first robe that came on, going somewhere between his calves and his ankles, and it would have had sleeves. And then the coat would have went on over top of that, which was a little bit shorter, no sleeves in it. And then the ephod would have went over top of that, a little bit shorter, no sleeves, so that as you saw the high priest standing there, he would have white sleeves, and then you would see the ephod and then out from underneath it the robe and underneath it would be the coat and then he also was to wear these linen breeches short pants if you will underneath his robe and uh, those were for uh, modesty uh, these remind us of the humanity and the modesty of Christ this linen, linen garment was just the, the basic base apparel for all mankind. And then the fact that God commanded, and it's the only one that God commanded to wear breeches, was the high priest and the priest. And the understanding is, is that they would go up on the altar at times. And so uh, God wanted that measure of modesty, that extra layer of modesty. You know, it reminds us of the humanity and modesty of Christ because Christ came to the earth as a man. He came modestly, not as a king, not as a wealthy or powerful man, not as an autocrat, but as a humble man of modest means 
He is the King of kings and the Lord of glory, and yet he robed himself in human flesh, was born to a poor family, and lived a poor life. This is the description of what the high priest was to wear in his official position. Uh, in the book called The Temple by Alfred Edersheim, he said, if the high priest officiated without wearing the full number of his vestments, his service would be invalid. And so every item that was described had to be worn by the priest for him to execute that office and have it validated by God. Here's another interesting aspect for you to consider and that is that the high priest was specifically forbidden from rending his garments you know in the bible times when they would express sorrow mourning regret repentance they would rip their garments so they would hold it pull it at the collar and they would tear it apart and it was an outward expression of inward grief or repentance and and yet God specifically said to the high priest, never rip your garments. Now, he doesn't say it in, in this text in Exodus, but in Leviticus 21, verse 10, it says, And he that is the high priest among his brethren, upon whose head the anointing oil was poured, and that is consecrated to put on garments, shall not uncover his head, nor rend his clothes. As a matter of fact, there was an instance in Leviticus 10 when two of Aaron's sons got struck down for offering strange fire. And God specifically told Aaron, do not rend your garment. That may have been customary for a parent to do in grief over the loss of a child, but the high priest was forbidden from ripping the garment. Now, that seems like a small detail. It could be easily overlooked as you're reading through uh, the book, but I'm going to bring it back around in just a moment to see you, show you some significance about that. So here these garments are, specific, sacred, consecrated, uh, have to be worn in the order in which God prescribed for the high priest uh, to fulfill that office. He, he couldn't do it. It wasn't just the man. It was the man in those garments. And so he had to have the right lineage. He had to have the right pedigree. He had to be from the right tribe. But he also had to have all those right vestments upon him for him to fulfill his responsibility. And he was forbidden from ever ripping them. Not only did the high priest prefigure Christ in what he wore, but also in what he bore. And so I told you that there are two aspects here. Number one, what he wore. Number two, what he bore. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Uh, there are three verses that I'd like you to uh, focus on that express this idea that he is bearing something or carrying something. In Exodus 28, verse 12, Thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of memorial unto the children of Israel, and Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for a memorial. Again, Verse 29, 
Let's begin verse 28. And they shall bind the breastplate by the rings thereof unto the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue that it may be above the curious girdle of the ephod and that the breastplate be not loosed from the ephod. And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart when he goeth in unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. And then one final verse, verse 38. And it shall be upon Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel shall hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall be always upon his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. So notice that. The high priest bore something on behalf of the people he represented. He bears their names. The high priest carried the names of the children of Israel on his shoulders. Think about that. He is the representative. He is the the federal figure that goes in on behalf of the nation. They could not go in. They couldn't even send in the heads of their tribes to go in. And so as the high priest goes in, he carries their names on his shoulders always going in on behalf, not just of himself, but on behalf of the nation of Israel. They couldn't come to the Lord on their own, but the high priest could, and he carried them with him on his shoulders. Think about what a picture that is of Christ as our great high priest, that we can't come into the presence of God on our own merit, on our own righteousness. The only way we can enter in is on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, and he bears our names before the Father. Next, we see that he bears their judgment. He bears their judgment. It says that the high priest carried the weight of judgment on his heart the weight of judgment on his heart think about that 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 plate was made out of gold it had 12 stones embedded in it he would have felt the weight of that breastplate on his chest every time he wore it and verse 29 says that it was the breastplate of judgment on his heart you see everyone is deserving of God's judgment But when the high priest came to make an atonement for sin, he carried the nation's sins with him on his heart. That as he went in to offer that blood of atonement, he wasn't just offering it for himself. He was offering it to to expiate the, the judgment that would come on every person in the nation of Israel. The atonement was a propitiatory. That means that it was a, a sacrifice that, uh, that was offered to satisfy the righteous judgment of God. The Bible calls it a, a propitiation. And so the mercy seat was a place of propitiation. It was a place where a sacrifice was offered to satisfy the judgment of God. And so the high priest bears the judgment of everyone else. Isn't that a picture of Jesus? Didn't God execute judgment on him on our behalf? And then, lastly, he bears their iniquity. Verse 38 says that he bears the iniquity of the holy things 
which the children of Israel shall hallow in all their holy gifts. The high priest carried the iniquity of the people of Israel on his own head. Well, you know, we use expressions like that, don't we? Well, I'm sticking my neck out for you. And the idea is that it's my head that's on the chopping block. And here we see that that mitre, though it represented the authority of Christ, it also is the idea that the iniquity is on his head, the one who wears it. This reminds me of the scapegoat in Leviticus 16. Each year on the Day of Atonement, two goats would be selected. One goat would be slain and uh, part of the blood would be offered on the altar. And then the high priest would take his bloody hands and he would place his hands on the head of the live goat. Listen to this language from Leviticus 16. And confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and then would send the goat away into the wilderness, and the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited. What a vivid picture of Christ. Isaiah 53 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so it was important what the high priest wore, and it was important what the high priest bore when he carried the names, the judgment, the iniquity of the people before the Lord. Now, knowing that the high priest was a supreme picture of Christ. I want you to consider the tragic irony of Mark 16. So if you would, let's depart from Exodus, go to Mark 16. I want you to see something here. I want you to connect a dot that perhaps you've never connected before when you've been reading through the Gospels. Understanding the significance of the high priest and what he wore. Understanding the significance of the high priest and what he prefigured as, as a picture of Christ who would become the great high priest. And then we come into the New Testament. And one of the last times that the high priest is mentioned, he is facing off with Jesus. Mark fourteen sixty one says, But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again, the high priest, can you see him in all of his garb, in his ephod, in his robe, in his coat, his breastplate, his mitre? The high priest asks him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. I am, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power coming in the clouds of heaven. Out of all the people who should have recognized who Jesus was, it should have been the high priest. As a matter of fact, there is a progression in the Scriptures where Jesus is being rejected by the religious leaders of the nation. And at a first rejection, you find him going out to the common people. But this is the final rejection, and it comes from the highest of the religious leaders. Those 
who were given the greatest revelation, those who had the opportunity to be closest to God, those who served in the service of the temple of Jehovah, those who should have been ones who were ushering in and celebrating Jesus as the Christ are the ones who drive the final nail of rejection. So we see here in this text after Jesus says, I am. And he references Daniel 7, 13, and 14, which was one of the greatest, most prominent prophecies in all of Scripture that was pointing to the Christ. He was making it clear. He was putting it in a billboard. Then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we any further witness? You have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? They all condemned him to be guilty of death. Isn't that striking? He rent his clothes. That was explicitly forbidden. But I can't help but think that it was somehow ominously prophetic. Can you recall with me the last encounter that the prophet Samuel had with the king Saul. And he had this encounter where he told Saul, it's over. You have rebelled against God. You've not repented. You are not going to get to be king. And the Bible says that as Samuel turned to go away, that Saul grabbed the skirt of his mantle. And it rent, and Samuel said unto Saul, The Lord has rent the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor that is better than you. And I tell you what I see in the high priest ripping that garment. He didn't know what he was doing, but what he was doing was signifying that the priesthood was forever ripped away from the Levites and from the, uh, from the family of Aaron. And it was given to his neighbor that was better than him. Then we read that in Hebrews, saying that we have a great high priest, a better high priest. And so I'm telling you, it takes a little bit of work to dig into these texts of Scripture like Exodus 28. And if you just do a superficial reading, you're going, to, you're going to miss it. But if you and I come to it and we dig in and we search the Scriptures, there is a richness, a robustness that is added to our gospel understanding so that when we do come to the New Testament and we read the New Testament, we see the pictures that God has been painting all along. And we see it not in black and white, not in two dimensions, but we see it in 3D and in color. Oh, my friends, I'm telling you, there are riches to be found in the pages of the Old Testament. May they always point us to Christ and bring Him glory. Would you bow with me? Oh, Lord, our hearts are humbled. Our hearts are humbled. My